0: Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you for being here today. Well, if you made plans to go to the beach, now would be a great time to go at 90 degrees outside. How many of you enjoying the uh, warm fall? It's beautiful outside. We asked our students today if you could add one month to the calendar. Like what time of year would you add it? And they all said either like around Christmas or in the fall, because some of them said they're just tired of being hot. Um, But here's what I don't understand. Apparently it's cold at the schools because I see kids come out like with hoodies and jeans. And all of a sudden it looks like it looks like they're just sweating all over themselves. So we need to make a phone call to the schools and see uh, how we can get the air condition turned down. Hey, if you need a Bible, um, we have some kids who would love to hand some out. If you're a, a young person with us today, a kid or a youth, and you need a Bible, simply throw your hand up. They'll throw a Bible your way. So guys, go ahead and hand a Bible out. we got a couple over here. Yep, good. Miss Miss up right there. She needs one. Yeah, good. Good. Natalie, you need a Bible? Okay, all right. Don't let them walk back with the Bible. They have to give them all out or they can't stay. So today we're going to be looking at this, uh, this question. We're going to answer, what does it really mean to follow Jesus and to grow spiritually with other Christians? What does it mean to follow Jesus and grow spiritually with other followers of Christ? We live in a world where really following is a norm. We, we have a routine that we follow. Right? Or a schedule. How many of you get up at a certain time every day before the sun comes up? Does anybody do that? Man, you are a great American. How many of you have kids and you have a routine in the morning or in the evening that you follow so you don't pull your hair out? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, we learn to follow uh, the leader at a young age. We follow each other on social media. We follow news stories. Some of us follow the rules. Some of us do not. You know who you are. We follow shows, whether it's a a reality television show like Survivor or The Bachelor or something on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. Can't wait to the next season to come out so we can binge that. We follow famous people and keep up with their lives. Kids follow their older siblings. Teenagers follow gamers on YouTube. Some of us follow the speed limit and some of us do not. The truth is, we all follow something. But what does it mean to follow Jesus genuinely? Does it simply mean that he believes that he exists? Does it mean that we go to church? Does it mean that we read our Bible from time to time? Or that we pray from time to time? See, in today's culture, I think you would answer that question of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in maybe one of these ways. I believe that God exists. Or I go to church. Or I was baptized. I was born into a Christian family. I try to live my life the best that I can, hoping the good outweighs the bad. Where well, I live my life in view of God's Word, and I sacrifice my will for His. I was on YouTube one day, uh, actually about 10 years ago, and I came across a guy named Ryan Bingham. Now, my name is Russ Bingham, and so we share the same... Good. Yeah, we share the same last name, and I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Let me look into this. And so I remember finding it, and he's got this really kind of uh, raspy voice, kind of a country and like and rock, but blues mix. And so I, I really fell in love with his music right away. I became such a big fan. I, I started following his music, learning about his life story, and. Then I found out he had a movie coming out, so Amy and I went to see that, and if you know Amy, for us to go to a movie would be great. We never go to the movie theater with four children, it's hard to to do that, and so we went to watch the movie, um, and it was great, of course I loved it, and at that point, man, I just felt like I knew Ryan Bingham. I became such a big follower of his that Amy actually bought me tickets in Knoxville to go see him live in concert, so we loaded up the car, we headed east, we're driving around Knoxville, we got there just in time to have dinner before the show, and we're driving around looking for something to eat and I'm not kidding you there he was Ryan Bingham in his cool cowboy hat walking around downtown Knoxville and I I played it cool <laughs> I rolled up next to him not right next to him because I don't want to freak him out but I rolled up next to him, rolled my window and I said what's up Ryan? Hey man we're from Memphis they we're here for the show, can't wait he goes, walks over, kind of walks over. He goes, that's cool, man. I'm glad you're here. Amy, you know, rolls the window down. I guess it's really this. And I could just imagine this star-struck smile on her face. And she yells out, we're the Binghams too! <laughs> and he literally, he's just seen it, just kind of goes like from here to here. He says, that's cool. And got to see you guys. And he walks away. Because the truth was, he didn't know the Binghams. Right? At that moment, I realized, man, I was so excited, but as much as I knew that I was excited to see him, he had no idea who we were. Even though we knew a lot about him, he didn't know anything about us. And if we're honest, the same thing is true with God sometimes. You see, simply knowing about God doesn't mean that we know him or that we're known by God. Or that we're his followers or his disciples. Because here's what I know is true. Believing and following Jesus are two very different things. James 2.19 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. When I talk to people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, here are some things that I hear. I was baptized, or I joined the church. And those are great steps to to make a profession of faith public, to join a local body of believers. Those are important steps in the Christian faith, but they don't necessarily mean that we have a relationship with Jesus. Or this, I try to live a good life and I think that's what makes me a Christian. But if we're honest, we sin every day and we can never be good enough and be made right with God. The truth is we need a Savior. I hear this too. Well, I go to church And that makes me a follower of Jesus. Attending church doesn't necessarily make you a a Christian. Just like following your favorite band, your favorite musician, or your favorite team means that you're one of them. Awkward interactions like that happen. For example, my older brother Brian is here, and he's an Alabama fan. We need to pray for him. Some of you are the same way. You know, if if he walked up to Nick Saban and pretended to be best friends with Nick Saban, that wouldn't go real well because Nick Saban doesn't know my. My big brother Brian. But Brian knows a lot about him. Just because we show up and we wear the jersey or we can recite the words or the lyrics doesn't mean that we're one of them. And then this is one I hear a lot. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. I tell people all the time, you don't have to go to church to be a follower of Jesus. But being a part of the body of Christ is a huge part of experiencing the biblical community that God created us for. It's a place where you get to learn about and exercise your gift to serve the body of Christ. Ultimately, for us to answer the question that we started with, what does it really mean to follow Jesus and grow spiritually with one another? We first have to understand what it means to know Jesus. Listen to how Jesus describes his disciples, how he called them. Natalie read it for us during our our worship time. Now listen to this. It says this, Mark 1, 16 through 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. When Jesus said, follow me, remember that word follow is a verb. It's an action step. When Jesus calls us, when we encounter the living God and we decide to follow, we turn our entire lives over to him. I think about this past weekend, I took my kids fishing in a small pond, and each of them had caught a fish. And it never fails, Riley always catches a bass. And we fish this pond that has brim. Like, I'm talking about the kind where you put a worm on the hook. And as soon as the bait hits, like it, the fish jumps on it. Like it's the best. My dad happened to go fishing this past weekend. And I sent him a text. He said, how did you do? He said, I caught a couple. And he sends me a, a picture of, a, I don't know, seven or eight catfish. And it made our fish look like minnows. They, they were literally catfish as big as my arm. See, that's a fisherman. <laughs> what we were doing is really playing at the game of fishing. See, when I think about being a follower of Jesus, there's this action. There's this, there's this thing that, that describes what we say we are. I could claim to be a fisherman when I catch that bass or that brim, but I'm a catch and release guy and really catch fish about the size of my hand. There's a difference when you can go out and you know where to set the hook, you know where to fish, you know how to get the fish in the boat, you have the right tackle, you have the right gear. That's a fisherman. That's action. So when Jesus invites disciples to follow him, the disciples acted in obedience. They immediately left their nets and they followed him. And when we follow Jesus, he has to be in charge of our lives to be the navigator, to be the captain. And all we're required to do is to follow him and to want to grow in him. Now, boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. If you're kindergarten through fifth grade, can you do me a quick favor and stand up? All of our kindergarten through fifth graders, stand up. Okay, real quick, I want you to stand up, and I just want you to put your hands in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. Good, now. Good. Now, I want you to go with the pointy finger. This is the time you can point in church. Good. Who do you follow in this room? Who is the person that you obey? They're your commander, they're your chief, they're your captain. Point to them. Who is it? Who in the room? Let's not go with the church answer. Let's go with who in the room do you follow? Yeah, you follow your parents, right? And what happens if you don't follow your parents? How many of you spank? Don't tell anybody. You want to get in trouble. I get it. How many of you punish? You do time out, right? Because there's consequences we don't follow, right? So we have to obey the people that God puts in our lives in command of us. Now, boys and girls, go ahead and grab a seat. Moms, dads, if you're appointed to, stand up. Don't look at her. Stand up. You were appointed to that too. Let's go. Yes, you are, Jesse. Yeah, stop looking at her, Jesse. You too, stand up. Hey, listen, boys and girls, these are the people that you pointed to, and I wanna I want to make a point to this real quick. Listen, the people who are who are called to, to love you well and to discipline you and to teach you are done so because God has put them in your life to lead you. But parents, grandparents, understand this that we can't set a direction for the course of their life if we don't have one for our own. And for a follower of Jesus, we have to make a decision who we follow because who we follow, the people who follow us are going to go in the same direction. Y'all go grab a seat. Listen, as I think about this, when I think about what does it mean to follow Jesus, to grow spiritually with other Christians, I think there's two action steps we're going to talk about quickly. Number one, the very first one is to admit our need for a change. So who do you follow? If you're going to acknowledge that you want to follow Jesus, first things first, you have to admit your need for a change. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that we just admire Jesus from afar. It doesn't mean we just sing about Him or read about Him. It means that when we encounter Him, He changes our lives. So being a follower of Jesus means that we admit our need for Him and Him alone for our salvation and for our eternity. We trust Him. And so we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize it because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Literally, we miss the mark of perfection. And then Mark 8, 34-37 says, Then, calling the crowd to join His disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, not my believer, not my admirer, not someone who watches me, if you want to be my follower, do what I do, go where I go, live as I live, then you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If I could just stop right here. I think this is where we as the church have really missed the boat. That to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, means that we talk about eternity in heaven. And we forget that we proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, as our captain, our navigator. That we say, pledge allegiance our lives to the Lord Jesus here and now. Because this is the life that God's called us to live. Eternity is forever. You ever think about how long forever is? Ever. It's so long you can take the four off. Eternity lasts ever. Ever. What are you living for today? He goes on to say this, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Here's the truth, guys. We are a nation. We are a people full of of decision makers who have said, I want to go to heaven but I'm not willing to live for Jesus today. I see that in students and it's true in the lives of adults too because I am one. We we are a a people that have a very difficult time with that first part where he says, if you want to be my follower, listen to this, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to recognize your need for a Savior, when you acknowledge that, And you recognize it, now you're called to action. So that next blank, not only do we admit our need for a change, but we also recognize our need for a Savior. I believe the two greatest days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you discover what you were born for. Let me say that again. The two biggest days in your life are the day that you are born and the day that you figure out what you were born for. Part of what you were born for is to be a follower of Jesus. He knows you, he created you before time began. He knows the hair on your head. He knows your innermost part. He knows the dirty stuff, the the guilty stuff, the shameful things. And he still chooses to love you. Boys and girls, it's like this. How many of you, kiddos, when you mess up, how quick are you to try to hide what you do? Man, I know I do. You know why we do that? It's the same reason when I get pulled over. It hadn't happened in a while. Oh, boy. But if you're not wearing your seatbelt, which I don't wear it a whole lot, I'm trying to get better with it because my kids follow what I do. Here's what I do. Because I don't want to get in trouble for it. I already got caught for speeding. I'm a speeder. That's true. I don't follow the rules in that way. You can pray for me. But here's the deal. I recognize that when I mess up, just like you do, the very first thing we do is we try to hide it. Man, can I just tell you that the Lord doesn't ask you to hide it? He asks you to shine a light on it and says, come to me. Repent of this. Show it to me and let me change you. He made you. He knows everything about you and longs for a real relationship with you. That's why in our relationships with one another, the more we try to hide, the the further apart we grow. And the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. That the fact of the matter is we have to be authentic with him. We have to be honest with him. Because the call to be a follower of Christ, while it's open to everyone, it also means that we don't get to write our own story. And for some people, that's a game changer. That's a deal breaker. Literally, writing our own story means that we think our best is better than what God has for us. That we know better than what God knows. But as God sets the course for our life, we have to choose to say yes to the direction he goes. I think the only way we can do that is if we truly deny ourselves what we want for what he wants and what he says is best. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, it says, let your will be done here on earth as is in heaven. That's not my will, but your will be done. It's a must. There's no other way to be a follower of Jesus and to deny yourself to take up your cross and to follow him. Jesus says so. Dallas Willard, an author and professor known for his writings on Christian spiritual formation, said this. Spiritual transformation, the renovation of the heart, is an inescapable human problem with no human solution. Let me read that again because that's deep. I want you to check this out. Listen. He says, spiritual transformation, the renovation of the heart, is an inescapable human problem with no human solution. That the fact that our heart needs to be changed, it's an inescapable problem that we as human beings have. That we cannot find a solution for our own. That we have to search for something else. There's something else there. It's literally this God-shaped hole in our heart that only God fills. Now, it's the equivalent of those terrible twos. A two-year-old, it's an inescapable human problem that a two-year-old calls us terror. But I'm coming up now, I've lived through the tornado threes. And I'm going to tell you something, the tornado threes are worse than the twos. Please, somebody tell me i got good news for the fours. <laughs> if our fourth child had been number one, we'd have had a single kid like it wouldn't have been anymore. Because our sin is an inescapable human problem with no human solution. We can't fix it. He literally says that spiritual transformation, this process in which we, we have our spiritual nature, our spiritual heart, it undergoes this internal change that directly impacts our outward expression of the way we live. And this idea, the concept of spiritual formation, at its foundation is all about becoming more like Jesus through the learning and the practice of spiritual disciplines like meditating on scripture. Spending time with the Lord in solitude and listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That being a follower of Jesus is not just opening up the Word of God, reading it, and checking it off. That being a follower of Jesus is not just memorizing Scripture and getting a piece of candy for it. That being a follower of Jesus isn't about coming to church 48 out of the 52 weeks because you had four weeks of vacation, but you were there all the other time. Being a follower of Jesus over time shows that the inward position of your heart is transformed the way that you live and the way that you love and the way you forgive and the way you show patience and the way you show mercy and the way you show grace and the way you parent and the way you neighbor. Therefore spiritual formation and becoming more like Jesus learning to follow him, that's why it's impossible to accomplish on our own. That's why we have to first repent and commit to follow Jesus. We have to surrender our lives to him. And get this, because this is huge. He's not asking to be the addition to our lives. He's asking to be your life. Did you catch that? Jesus doesn't ask to be the addition to our lives, to be a plus one, to be an and. He says, I want to be your life. Mark 1.15 says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sin and believe the good news. The first thing that Jesus says in the book of Mark, the very first command he gives, is not to love, it's not to forgive, it's to repent. It's to repent. And when Jesus says to repent, it means to make a 180 degree change in our thinking and our actions. It literally means that if I'm living this way, in my way, in the world's way, that I see that and I stop and I make a 180 degree turn. It doesn't mean I stop here though, because ultimately repentance is an action, not to just stop the way I'm going and living, but also then to pursue something else. I see a lot of repentance in teenage relationships where I like this girl or this boy, and then something changes and I like this boy or this girl, but ultimately it's not about what we see that draws our attention that should cause us to go that way, ultimately it's it's what transforms our heart from the inside that has the ability to change us and to give us the joy in which we were created to live with that should draw us closer to him. Acts 3.19 says, Now repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Jesus isn't interested in being a nice addition to your life or just a part of your life. He's not interested in stepping into your mess and just, just being another part of it. Don't miss this because this, this could be touchy. He's not interested in just stepping into it and being another part of the mess. He didn't step out of heaven as the redeemer of the world to be a bonus to your already full lives. He wants to change your life, to redeem your life, to take the mess that you call life and transform it so ultimately you become the display of his goodness and his power, his hope, and his redemption. That's why Jesus didn't call the Pharisees. Perfect religious people. He called the people with mess. He met the woman at the well, living in adultery, and changed her heart. Listen, I think about, I think about this, and I, I, don't, I want to make sure you understand this. When I say he's not just interested in just stepping into the mess and being part of it, I just, I, it's not, it, that's not enough. He ultimately steps into our mess to change our mess, and to use the mess that we used to be as he makes us more, more like him, and to be more like a Jesus follower so that the world sees something different in us. Because you and I, we may be the the gospel that people see. We're the gospel people understand. I don't know about you, but that is incredibly humbling. That is not something I can go out and do on my own. So I have to daily surrender my life and say, God, I don't want to live for me today. God, help me to live for you today. Because ultimately, and here's point number three, Sub point is that committing your life to Jesus is, the, is not the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. Committing our lives to Jesus is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's the starting line of your faith journey. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. The disciples followed Jesus to begin the relationship with Him. And then grew in the relationship with Him as they walked with Jesus and as Jesus walked with them. That's why it's so important for us to not only recognize our need for a change, but then also to recognize a desire to, number two, to pursue spiritual growth in community. Not only do we recognize our need, not only do we acknowledge our need for a Savior, that we need change, but we also pursue. Again, there's that action step. That pursuing spiritual growth, growth occurs best in community with people. The best spiritual growth in my life and the life of other people that I have observed has occurred in healthy and intentional relationships. Colossians 2, verses 6-7 through says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. With thankfulness. Jesus can renew and restore our hearts and our life. He meets us where we are, right there in that mess, but doesn't say I want to keep you there. He says, now let's do something about it. Let's do something with it. And it's through that amazing love and grace that we sing about that Jesus ultimately transforms us into a completely different person from the inside out. I think this is good news today. I know it is for me. That spiritual growth is not automatic. That it's a process. I'm thankful for that. Because there are days that I feel like I'm messing up in the process. There are things that I feel like I've got off the track in that process. There are days when I feel like I've said something or done something that has essentially kept me exempt from the process. But the truth is, God says, no. No. I'm not going to take my eyes off of you. I'm not going to take my hand off of your life. In fact, I would say this, that ultimately, when things begin to go haywire in our lives, when things get crazy, we have an opportunity. Either we took our eyes off the Lord, or the Lord is using that opportunity and the craziness to point people to Him. And I know at 38 years old, I know I've seen some life, but I've not seen all of it. So the process of life, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the same thing is true with our faith journey. That's why when we know and follow Jesus, listen to this, we look at people differently. We don't judge. We're not quick to deny. Instead, we care for them. We meet them where they are, just the same way Jesus does for us. And in the pursuit of that biblical community, and pursuit of that spiritual growth, We get to be in words of encouragement and words that give life rather than rob life. But understand this, encouragement doesn't mean just giving flattery. This is something I had to learn about at a young age. I I really did. I struggled with this. Flattery is the excessive or the insincere praise that we give others. That's not encouragement. Flattery is what I do to make you feel good so you'll like me. Encouragement means it doesn't matter what you think about me. I just want to lift you up. I want, to, I want to point out good things in your life. I want to build into you. Biblical encouragement isn't focused on complimenting someone's haircut or telling them how awesome their new car looks or their outfit. Flattery is to do something to manipulate others, trying to win their approval by saying something with the intention of getting something else in return. Man, it's so easy for me to flatter Because if I'm not careful, I'll live for me. But biblical encouragement means that you give courage to live out their faith. You give courage to build up one another and to encourage one another to do good. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. And then in Hebrews 10 it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. As followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to influence and encourage others to become like Jesus too. I told our students this morning, in every relationship we have, whether it's at home or at work or at school or with a group of friends, we we are either the kind of people who point people to God or we draw them away from Him in our words. We're the kind of people who build up and encourage or the kind of people who tear down and pull away. You can be a life giver or you can be a life sucker. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to be a life sucker. I don't want to be that, that jellyfish or that kind of fish that swims on the the, the the fish tank and just sucks all the dirt. I don't want to live that life. That doesn't sound joyful to me. I don't want to cause pain like the, the, the jellyfish does. I don't want people to run from you when they see me coming. I want to be the kind of person who gives life and breathes life of encouragement. And the only way that happens genuinely, biblically, is when we know Jesus and we want to follow Jesus in such a way that we want to live like Jesus. So the second way we grow in community is that we begin to pray for each other. So not only do we encourage one another, but we pray for one another. Now I'm going to step on some toes because I think any sermon that doesn't is pretty much a waste of time. I got big feet, but I promise to be gentle. And I think transparency leads us closer to God and to other people. But transparency is hard, right? Letting people into your life see the real you, it's hard. So here's the truth. I've got a Facebook image. I've got an Instagram image. I've got a Snapchat image. I've got a Twitter image. I've got an image that I put on even when I walk into church. I've got a face that I put on. And we're real good at making believe but sharing your struggles with each other showing grace as you care for one another being willing to love somebody through something hard being willing to listen to something difficult being willing to open up your life and share your struggles Letting people into your life and letting them see real you, that's hard. Sharing what's going on in your marriage or sharing what's going on at work, sharing what's going on with your kids, sharing what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God to what it looks like to be a teenager who pursues godliness or righteousness. Man, to do those things in a biblical way is otherworldly. Our secrets, our sin, the things that we keep hidden, don't miss this. It makes us sick. I've been battling a a cough for about four weeks and Amy finally said, you need to go to the doctor. And so I went and she said, Mr. Bingham, you're, you're on the verge of walking pneumonia. I got sinus infection and bronchitis. If you were here this morning, you may have seen me with a rag on my head with a backward hat holding it there. I've got a fever right now. And and as I think about that, like I spent four weeks coughing junk up, having a hard time sleeping and, and not being willing to do anything about it. Man, how true is that about the sin in our lives that we just live with it? And here's what's worse. When we have people in our life who love us and care for us and they point it out to us, whether it's in grace and truth or in maybe a little bit too harshly, but even when they point it out and we're unwilling to deal with it, guys, that's a problem. Because that sin ultimately will cause us to draw not only further away from the Lord, but also from spiritual community with other believers. When we keep them hidden, they become like a poison and ultimately has the power to destroy and to kill everything God wants to do in your life and in the lives of other people. You think about this Dick Hunter's an influencer. He influences people. B.G. Austin is an influencer. Now, those are two people that I, I, I think are incredibly encouraging and they're kind. But I know if, if I ask some people around them, they would say they're not always perfect. <laughs> right? Because they sin. They, they fall short of God's glory. We've talked about that. We've all sinned. But the question becomes, when you do, are you quick to repent of it? Are you willing to say, God, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. And in, in so when Fern points it out, Dick, are you quick to say, thank you, honey? No, right? Or are you willing to say, stiff arm, I don't need that. How about this, do you have friends in your life? Are you that friend in someone's life? Are you willing to speak truth into somebody's life? Because see, I, I think, I think it's why we need to be transparent because when we're transparent and we're real with each other, with other trusted followers of Jesus, I'm not just talking about anybody. I'm talking about people who we know are for us and love us, and are, are they want our best. They are like minded. They love the Lord God, and they're close. And we keep them close. When we encourage one another and pray for one another, we become more effective when we show up in each other's lives, and we can spur one another on to be more like Christ. Listen to James five sixteen Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The best way to get over your guilt, over your sin, over your shame is to talk to other people about it who love you unconditionally, that will listen to you and not judge you. Isn't it easier to cover up our struggles, though? Isn't it easier to cover up our, our struggle and our shame and our guilt? It's easier to walk through those doors and to put that mask on rather than just to let people really see what's going on in our lives. So what do we do? We fake it. You fake it, and I fake it. We pretend to have it all together when every single person in this room knows we don't. That's why relationships can be so fake that when they hit a rocky point, they begin to fall apart. It's why friendships can crumble at a snap of a finger. It's why marriages fall apart both secretly and open. It's why when I struggle with my spouse or I struggle with my kids, I get angry on the inside. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want anyone to think different of me. But the truth of the matter is I struggle in every single one of those areas. And so I need men to who will help me to be a better follower of Jesus. Because being a better follower of Jesus is going to help me to be a better dad, a better husband, a better son, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better worker, a better person. Because when we fake our life, we we claim to follow the giver of life only to live like the world around us. The bottom line is authenticity in our relationship with God allows us and even leads us to be authentic with others. Let me say that again. When we allow ourselves, we're willing to be authentic with the Lord, we can't help but be more authentic with other people. Let's switch it. You want to to see where you are in your walk with the Lord? How authentic are you with people? How real are you with people? How quick are you to walk through that door when the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you to say, hey, encourage this person. Be willing to pray for this person. Meet a need in this person's life. Because that's going to be a reflection of where you are in your walk with the Lord. Because when we're honest and we open up with one another, when we give room for things like healing in our relationships, we allow room for forgiveness to take place and for relationships to restored, first in our relationship with God and then our relationships with others. If we want that healing to take place in our life, then we have to be willing to encourage one another, to pray with one another, and then the third point, to hold each other accountable. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. I love it. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. When iron blades are rubbed together, each becomes sharper and thus more effective. Likewise, when believers are involved in each other's lives, praying for one another and encouraging one another, mutual development occurs. If a knife is blunt, it continues to be a knife. It just becomes a less effective and less useful knife. And it's just the same thing for a follower of Jesus. If if we're never sharpened by another believer, we'll remain a Christian. We remain a follower of Christ, we'll just become more ineffective. We become dull. And maybe that right there is the truth. Maybe some of you right now are struggling with your with your life as a follower of Jesus. It's just dull. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anybody in your life that's willing to sharpen you? Are you allowing someone to rub shoulders with you to encourage you? Let me make sure you understand this. I think encouraging is not just speaking and and building up. I think it's also filled with grace and truth, right? Because I I don't know about you, but I've tried to sharpen a lawnmower blade. My dad's here, and he would tell you that I probably don't do it well. Um, Instead of taking the blade off, here's what I do. I prop the lawnmower up and put a cinder block on the handle because that's easier. And then I get my grinder out, and I just, and I go to work on that thing. What happens? Does anybody know what happens when, that, when I do that? What is it? Do you know? It breaks. <laughs> it breaks. Sparks go everywhere. The edge is not straight. I, I'm not joking. I took it off. Actually, I didn't take it off. My dad took it off. And he said, son, what did you do to this? So I, I hit a stump. Because <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't admit that I had literally tried to sharpen it on my own. But do you see where rubbing shoulders, like having someone to encourage me and help me, like it gives me the ability to do it better. Man, you need people in your life who are going to rub shoulders with you that way. And, and, and I know, and I'm just going to say this because I think it's true, and if it's not, my wife will tell me afterward. But women are quick to speak. They're quick to tell. But women, from what I understand, can also be really hard with each other. Men, on the other hand, I wish men were more like women in this way, that we'd be quick to tell. But instead, men are quick to hide. That's why we have women's groups and women's Bible studies and women's this and women's that and why guys live on an island with a spear (laughs) and a volleyball with a handprint on it. We're just loners. But guys, listen, God didn't create us To live as loners. Women, God didn't create you to live as loners. God created us to sharpen one another, to live life together, to encourage one another, pray for one another, and hold each other accountable. Tim Chester, a pastor and author, said this. Love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish. But truth without love is like doing heart surgery with a hammer. A good friend is not someone who necessarily agrees with everything you do and say. It's someone who lovingly challenges you to pursue Christ-likeness. Understand that verb, or adverb. It says lovingly challenges. It doesn't say I challenge you. It doesn't say I speak boldly. It says I lovingly challenge you. True friends tell the truth in love. They help each other not lose their edge or become dull. Because ultimately, once we recognize our need for change and pursue spiritual growth with other believers, that's when we decide who we're going to follow. So as we wrap up, who do you follow? Do you follow your own feelings? That which is temporary and changes with the season? Do you follow your friends? What they say and what they do? Do you follow your thoughts? Do you follow someone you know and even respect, something you've seen, something you like in other people? Do you follow the world around you? Or as a follower of Jesus, do you follow that which you claim to follow, the living Word? We're called to follow His Word and His Spirit. The Word of God is this. Through the strength of God's Spirit in us, we can follow Jesus wholeheartedly. When Jesus was in the wilderness being antagonized by Satan, he had been fasting for 40 days and seeking God. And Jesus was hungry, but he replied, Matthew 4.4, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people who do not live by bread alone, but rather by the live by the word of God, that which comes from his mouth. The word of God is eternal and life-changing. I think about the people of God wandering in Egypt. I think about people in Arlington, Tennessee, or Bartlett, or Collierville. I think about people in our culture. We wander. And we search, and God the whole time saying, let me provide, I have what you need. Stop seeking the world for what to be fulfilled by. Come to me, those who are weary. Come to me and I'll give you rest. If you want to know, God, that we have to learn and love his word. Pastor Robbie Gallaty says this, get in the word of God and the word of God will get into you. Our students will tell you, I say that all the time, get into the word of God and the, God, the word of God will get into you. Get into the word of God and God's word will get into you. Get into the word of God and God's word will get into you. If you want to grow spiritually, we have to be in the word of God consistently. I, I love this book, Christ Called a Discipleship by James Montgomery Boyce. He's a a Christian author and theologian. He says this about the study of God's Word. The most essential ingredient in the believer's spiritual life because it is only in the study of the Word of God that is blessed by the Holy Spirit that Christians hear Christ and discover what it means to follow Him. He urges the reader to find time daily to be in the Word, not in a random act of reading or dipping here or there, but in a regular disciplined study of a book or the Bible as a whole. But it's not just about reading the the Bible, he says, that makes a difference. It's all about application. It's all about application. It's like this. I go to a mechanic. My uncle used to own a tire shop, and he would always tell me, Rush, you need a new set of tires. Rush, you need a new set of tires. And I would always what? Wait. And I would think, man, I can make it one more oil change. We're rolling down Interstate 40 couple months back and all of a sudden this diesel passes us and I hear and I thought man something's wrong with that diesel right there we gotta go on so I hit the gas and diesel's in the back I hear that's not good it's 10.30 at night we pull over at Germantown Parkway I've got a flat tire you see the the mechanic at my uncle's shop he told me what was wrong he told me what I needed I just wasn't willing to listen it's the same thing about being in the word of God we hear it we see it, we know it, but it's about applying the word. That's why in James one twenty two it says, don't be just a listener of God's word, but do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourself. The word of God becomes a mirror that the Holy Spirit uses to help us see who we are really. That we pay attention, he shows us who we really are. It's the same thing when a doctor can prescribe medicine, it doesn't help if you don't take it. Right, you can own the nicest basketball shoes. My son Riley's got some sweet Sweet kicks. Some of you out there, I've seen you, you've got some que- like some really cool gear, but doesn't make you a better athlete. Some of you've got a really shiny musical, uh, but if you don't play that instrument, you don't get better at it. Similarly, reading and obeying God's Word is the same thing. It's a key to spiritual growth, that we have to be in the Word of God and then live the Word of God out. So not only do we follow the Word of God, but once we make the decision to trust Him and to follow Him, God sends His Spirit to dwell within us. It's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He convicts us of sin, meaning He reveals our need for change. He's our advocate. He stands up for us. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. 2 Corinthians 3 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have heard and know that, we've had the veil removed, and we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into this glorious image. I think about HGTV shows where people go in and gut houses. I love watching that stuff because I love to see something go from like nasty and gross to just be transformed to something new. How do you think God sees us? I'm so thankful God steps into my mess and doesn't leave me there. As the band comes out, are we... We ready, Peter? I always go long. As the band comes up and, and we close, and just kind of in a time of response, I, just, I, want to, I want to kind of leave us there. Just with this idea of what God's doing in your life. Because ultimately, the result of spiritual growth is that we become mirrors of God's goodness and His glory. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill His good purpose. It goes back to what we said at the beginning. If you want to allow change in your life to happen, you want to pursue spiritual growth, we have to acknowledge our need for a Savior. Be willing to pursue that relationship, not only with the Lord, but also with other people, so that we, by knowing His Word and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit, become the mirrors of God's goodness and His glory. So who do you follow? Are you ready to follow Jesus today and grow spiritually with other believers? If so, let's do that together. Maybe today you would say, Russ, for the very first time, I want to come to faith in Christ. I, just, I, I want to acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord of my life, but also he's going to navigate my presence. That I pledge allegiance to him. That being a follower of Christ, if I got saved because I wanted to go to heaven, not I don't want to go to hell. But Russ, I, I need to make a commitment to Jesus to live for him now. Maybe today you would respond with this, Russ, I want to make it known publicly. I want people to know that I'm a follower of Christ and I want to obey Him in baptism. Maybe, maybe today's message has just kind of pricked your heart with something different and you have an opportunity. I would love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. However the Lord leads, we're going to have a time of response. I'll be here. with would count it a joy to pray and encourage you. If you have that decision to make, let's do that together. Let's pray and we'll close. God, we love you. I thank you for your word as we pray and praise the name of Jesus. God, I pray that ultimately you would change our heart from the inside out. That Lord Jesus, we would, we would go one step closer to you. That ultimately, Lord, we would look more like you when we leave here than when we came. Help us to follow you. Help us to know you and to love you. To be in your word and to be led by the spirit of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you stand?